Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, girl. my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. He does have a tricky body. Oh, he does. Okay. He doesn't look like, okay, look at if But that guy's walking down the street. You have no idea who he is. I don't know if you're saying, yeah, he's the best quarterback in the world. This is the Press Box. So we, our mean, tricky body list is James Harden and Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. now Patrick Mahomes runs kind of funny. With Graney and Bischoff. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Turvel Beck. Turvel Beck's body is not tricky. We know exactly <laughs> what Turvel Beck's body is. It is not tricky in any way. Not at all. That is a complete lie. Stop trying to put Turvel Beck in that category. On ESPN Las Vegas. We're on, baby. We think we are. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Tyler and Jared. Big day ahead. We always end our Thursdays with Starkus, but a lot to get to before he rolls onto the show with yet another cocktail. So let's start it off. If we can hear you, Jared. The first bite. Do you believe in T.J. Otzelberger? <laughs> I believe you're in a wind tunnel. Uh, so, really? Yes. Anyway. Well, it's another day, another dollar. Um, well, here's the thing, Tyler. You know, two years in with the record, I don't know if I can solidly believe in anything right now. I mean, I think you have to prove it before people actually start believing, and uh, they're not really going the right way at this point. So um, you, we'll go over what happened last night, but, you know, can you, can you say without question right now, this is the way the program's going that's going to get better? No, because last night's loss was uh, terrible, and Fresno State is, is not a good team. And if you take uh, Ken Palm numbers, UNLV now has two losses this season to teams outside the top 200. Um, the last time that happened was Marvin Menzies last year, and he got fired. The last time it happened before that was the Dave Rice-Todd Simon year, uh, in which Dave Rice got fired. Well, he only lost to one. Todd Simon lost to the other one. So... It's not a good thing when you lose to two teams outside the top 200 in Ken Palm over the course of a season. UNLV is normally better than that. Um, so last night's loss is, is brutal. And if you look at what UNLV has done this year, they've had, they, they had a big win against Utah State. They've been in close games against some of the other better teams in this conference, but they've been in close games against the bad teams in this conference too. And normally they've won. Normally they've beaten Air Force. They've beaten New Mexico. They've beaten San Jose State when they've played close games against bad teams. But last night they lost to one of them. They lost to Fresno State, who's not any good. And you look at the results. Year one, it started off the first half of the season wasn't that good, but they ended really strong. And year two, I don't know that there's been a great stretch. I mean, they beat Utah State, but there hasn't really been a great stretch of games that UNLV has played this year. So results-wise, it's it's hard to believe in T.J. Otzelberger. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, going over last night, that was that was not good. I mean, yeah, and we're going to talk about the three-point shooting in terms of Fresno State, how they did. I mean, their best player shoots 3 of 11, scores 12 points, Orlando Robinson, and, and they still win the game. That's troubling. You know, if, if he goes off, you say, okay, he's, he's the best player they have, but he, he wasn't efficient at all, and they still managed to find a way to win. They had four guys in double figures, and – it was not good for UNLV last night. Um, it wasn't good down the stretch when uh, Fresno State made more plays. Um, 
they took it right at them inside. And yeah, I just, it's, it's hard, man. I mean, even the good, even the good players on, on, on UNLV right now are not efficient. They might have numbers, but not very efficient players at this point. So I don't know where they go from here. I mean, they play Fresno state again, they get San Diego state next week, as we know, and then the conference tournament, but more and more, and you said it often, if this is the way it's going to be, and it's not going to be improving, I think we better see a lot of new names next year. Um, I don't think at this point you could say, oh, just stay with all these guys and they'll get better. And you kind of hope this guy and this guy comes back. I, I think that's short-sighted at this point to even believe that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you're, you're not going to be too concerned with really anybody on this roster leaving. It's going to be more about who do you bring in because they, they have to upgrade. And that's, that's to me. That to me is the key because as far as Otzelberger goes as a coach, I actually I do believe in Otzelberger in terms of like in-game schemes and in-game strategies. And like we can talk about the defense. Fresno State's the worst three-point shooting team in the conference. Fresno State shoots twenty-nine percent yeah. from three. Their best player is a seven-footer in Orlando Robinson. And UNLV's defensive scheme in that game was they actually used Devin Tillis, not Mbake Zhang. They used Devin Tillis on the seven-footer, but they had Mbake Jong guarding a guy who shoots like 28% from three, and it was so Mbake Jong could overhelp. It was so Jong didn't have to worry about guarding that guy on the perimeter, and he could just be in the paint to stop any layups. And it worked. They stopped Orlando Robinson. Fresno State, they did later in the game get better, but Fresno State didn't really get to the rim or get to the paint that often over the course of 40 minutes. But Fresno State hit 35% of their threes. Yeah. Fresno State was over 42% in the first half. And to me, like, the, that part of some of that is a little bit of, of misfortune if you're UNLV, where the other team shoots above their level. But some of that is also just the level of player that UNLV has. That Otzelberger schemed up, okay, we're going to stop their best player. They stopped their best player, but the other four guys got beat. And we saw the same exact thing happen uh, against Boise State in the first game. UNLV shut down Derek Alston. Their yep. defensive st- uh, scheme shut down Alston. He did not have a very good first game against UNLV, but everybody else torched UNLV. Yeah. And it was because, all right, the scheme was to stop Alston. Boise State could win every other one-on-one matchup. Every other one-on-one matchup they had, they could win. And to me, that points back to players. Because if, if, if as a coach, you have bad defensive players and you can shut down the other team's best player... <laughs> but everyone else on the other team goes off in one-on-one scenarios, you don't have good enough defenders. And that's like when we talk about, do you believe in Otzelberger? That's the key. He has to get better players in here. He has to. It's year two, and he hasn't gotten in good enough players. That's the key to whether or not this is going to work. Yeah, last night was uh, somewhat bizarre because it happens all the time in college basketball, and this is where this is a really, really bad loss for them. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. How many uh, at, at, at the halftime? Fresno State's 32 30, and they're shooting the lights out over what 45% from three. Yeah, and UNLV has barely kept the streak alive with maybe one or two threes. When you're up two, you're losing that game, especially on the road, right? Because there's no chance you're going to keep it up. You have no yep. chance of, of continuing to hit three, so that's never yep. going to happen. Nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, you're like, all right, the home team might have, like, you know, not played well in the first half, and they're not very defending the three, but that's okay. And, if, you know, if you're Oslo, you're thinking, well, they're not going to continue to shoot like that, so they'll win the game. And yet, UNLV found a way to lose the game. That rarely happens, especially at home, especially when you're evenly matched as two kind of bad teams, and it's not like one team's like expansionally better than another. So that's kind of disturbing because, you know, at halftime, you have to be thinking, 
Fresno State's up two. They've shot completely great on the road. They're not a good team. There's no chance UNLV loses that. And they yeah. lost. Yeah. It's exactly – this is exactly I mean, what – I that's what I thought at halftime. I thought it's just like, oh, playing, they're going to win the game. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I thought UNLV is playing fine, not great, but fine. And Fresno State hit a bunch of threes, and I think UNLV yeah. was one of nine in the first half from three point range. And you're like, all right, that'll that'll switch. UNLV is actually yeah. a good three point shooting team, and Fresno State's not. And it it never really did. I mean, Fresno State didn't kill them from the outside in the second half, but it didn't no, really but... didn't really come back and and bite them. And one other point on the Otzelberger has to have a better roster. His a general philosophy of his on offense is to find a mismatch and let guys exploit it. So, you know, we saw it against San Jose State when they posted up Devin Tillis. We see it with every game with Bryce Hamilton. They think, you know, if they get a mismatch or whatever, they're going to give Bryce Hamilton somewhat of an isolation. When he was at South Dakota State, he had Mike Dom, and that was, you know, the biggest mismatch in pretty much every game right. was, hey, you've got Mike right. Dom, give it to him. Last Especially year, in that league. He- yeah, and last year when Bryce Hamilton was awesome in Mountain West play, it's because they, they basically would say, okay, we don't think that guy can guard Bryce Hamilton. We're going to get him in isolation and, and let him go to work. And it was very effective last year. This year, they don't have anything outside of Bryce Hamilton. They don't have another player that can even get to the paint off the dribble. And because of that, teams don't – all you have to worry about is guarding Bryce Hamilton. Like, yeah. don't don't let David Jenkins get a catch-and-shoot three and don't let Bryce Hamilton get to the rim. That's all you have to worry about with this team. So, to me, like, his general offensive philosophy does rely a little bit on, hey, you've got to have good players. you got to have better players than the opponent because you're trying to exploit one-on-one matchups. And they don't. Like, you watch the game against Fresno State and – Bryce Hamilton's really the only one outside of that. Who would you say was better than anybody on Fresno State? Nobody. Like, it's hard to say they have somebody better than Fresno State. So, I, like, I think Otzelberger in-game and his overall schemes and strategies, I actually think they're solid. I just, his players aren't good enough to be doing that, and that still comes back to him because he brought all these players in. This is year two. This is, you know, basically his entire roster. These are guys he wants. Yeah, it's his roster. Um it wasn't a good game all way around. They got nothing from Wood. He was in foul trouble the whole night, eventually fouled out. Uh, Jenkins shoots 3 of 11, 0 for 4 from 3. They get nothing from him. And I'll tell you what, and I, I was thinking this as the announcers uh, continued to praise Bryce Hamilton, and he had 27 <laughs> and 38. Took him 24 shots. He has zero assists. So, yeah, he has 27, but especially, especially uh, you know, you get announcers who played at high levels and who know basketball as well as anyone. I mean, there was never the, you know, like, yeah, Bryce is scoring, but he's taking 24 shots, you know? And again, maybe that's just because, like, you go back to you say, maybe he, that's all they have, and he's got, and you want him taking the shots because, really, he's the only mismatch on the team. Um, but, again, zero assists in 38 minutes. And, uh, you know, d- again, Jenkins and Wood gave him nothing. So it was just not a good game all the way around. And you can't have, I'm sorry, against Fresno State, you can't have David Jenkins in 27 minutes shoot 3 of 11 and 0 and 4 and 3. I, I mean, with nine points, again, David Jenkins, no assists. They had nine assists. I mean, you have nine assists in that game. Um, that's not that – nine assists on, what, 58 shots. That That's not good. So, 24, 26 makes. Um, not a good loss. And here's the other thing. You know, and again, you know, they're, they're two, you know, not good teams. We'll see. They'll probably get the split. But who knows? Orlando Robinson, it was 3 of 11 last night. If he's Orlando Robinson tomorrow night and they continue to shoot well, they could get swept by this team. I uh, I love announcers because they're calling a game between two bad teams in UNLV and Fresno State 
and every player on the floor is tremendous. Yes. Every, every, and, and I know they're, they're selling no, the product and sure. And you talk to coaches before the game and the coaches aren't going to rip their players to the TV play-by-play announcers. No. But I just, I just love that we're watching UNLV play Fresno state, two teams that are roughly 500 in the mountain West, two teams that have no chance at the NCAA tournament. And they've all got five phenomenal players on the floor yes. at all times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's, it yeah, I get that also. They're not going to take uh, shots, but you can, you can not take shots and mention, Hey, you know, efficiency matters too. And again, I'm not going to get on Bryce. He's really the only guy who, at this point, like you were saying, can do anything in terms of a mismatch and, and, and get you 27. But, you know, you want him to do it. John goes 16-8 last night. I mean, you want him to do it in a more efficient manner, and maybe that helps you, you know, win more games. Uh, but all the way around, this this was not a good loss. If, if you can term things good wins and, you know, bad losses for a team that's, like you said, 10-12 and 12 now, uh, this goes on the bad loss category. All right, coming up next, Marcus Mariota is apparently not going to get traded because the Raiders gave him a good contract. Bruce and I both talked to Tom. I mean, when why wouldn't you with, um, you know, the, the resume that he has? But I think Tom, is, it gets a little bit overblown. Tom isn't banging down the door saying, we need to sign this guy, we need to sign that guy. Bruce, we need to draft this guy. We ask him his opinion at times. He gives us his opinion at times, but he never mandates anything. He's actually been a complete joy to work with. So I think a little bit of that gets overblown. We like to advise with him on certain things, just like Bruce does um, with the game plan, but there's never been any kind of animosity or directive from him. And in fact, most of the things that we do, we don't consult with him on. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Make sure you head over to lvsportsnetwork.com to enter our Sky Diamonds Month of Love contest for your chance to win a $2,500 diamond pendant. It's presented by Sky Diamonds, where Las Vegas gets engaged, conveniently located at Town Square. Um, That... That audio there, I'm assuming that's the Buccaneers general manager. That audio sounds like a general manager that really wants credit for Tampa Bay winning the Super Bowl and not Tom Brady getting yeah. all of the credit for Tampa Bay winning the Super he is, Bowl. He doesn't want TB12 getting any credit. <laughs> Although, I would kind of believe the part where I don't know his seven rings and kind of how he's made people better around him if Brady's sitting around waiting for them to call on every move. I, I would never believe that. I'd be like, he'd probably, he's pretty confident in himself with seven rings and how, you know, Brady's made average players that he probably like, yeah, draft whoever the hell you want. We'll be fine. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, so you, he's not like other, you know, you know, quarterbacks. I want a say in the GM. I want to say in who's playing. I, I want to say, in, uh, you know, who's, who you signing. I mean, do you think Brady would, I mean, I'm sure he cared that he has good players. Do you think at any point he would worry about the phone ringing with that stuff? No, I like, I mean, no. It, it'd be funny to imagine Brady like yeah. consulting on, uh, yeah, on. we need to bring in a backup defense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Could you see Brady at this point with seven rings saying, hey, I haven't got that draft film yet. You know, send me the breakdown of the guys we can take in the later rounds. He's saying, all right, our long snapper, I don't think he's very good. I've been watching some tape on this guy from Division Three out in Idaho. <laughs> yeah. How, um, how long does it even take Brady to learn who's on the team each year? Like, who's so that I, guy? <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine Brady's input as far as players goes. It's yeah. like, hey – Antonio Brown's available. Yeah. I like Antonio Brown yes, and he's exactly. good. 
Let's yeah. go get Antonio Brown. Hey, Rob Gronkowski yeah. wants to come play. Yeah. But outside of that, it's it's no. like, yeah, Tom Brady doesn't. I'm not <laughs> too worried about who their backup because because the other part on on the Buccaneers, they they had to re-sign some guys last offseason, but they brought back most of the same guys on that defense. Like they had a yeah. solid defense the year before. Their quarterback just threw thirty something interceptions, so they had to defend a short field all the time. But they had a solid defense the year before, and they brought most of those guys back. So it's not even like they revamped the defense because of Brady. They just brought right. in some old guys on offense to play with them. I say old. Leonard Fournette's not that old. Doesn't it seem like Leonard Fournette is like thirty-four? Yes, absolutely. And, it seems like, like he's. It seems like he's been around for. It seems like he's been around forever. Well, at least he's been around for like twenty-eight years because that's how long I've had him on my fantasy team. So <laughs> I, I, I've had him forever. So I don't know how old the guy is. And he he just finished his rookie contract. <laughs> Which like is he's just amazing. He's he's had two NFL contracts, it? and it seems like Leonard Fournette's ninety. He's well, they start so young. He's like the Steffi Graf of tennis. When you thought she was thirty-five, Steffi just turned twenty-one. It's like hasn't she been around for like thirty years? I mean, there's some athletes like that. They start so young, or you kind of see them when they're rookies, whatever, and it just seems like they're around forever. And then you see their age, like I thought that person was a lot older than that. I can't it's, believe uh, Leonard Fournette just finished his rookie contract. Leonard Fournette kind of looks like Greg Oden. In the yeah, fact uh, that Greg Oden's a great example, yeah. In the fact yeah. that it's like, yeah, he's in college, but he looks yeah. like he's 42. <laughs> yes. And you're, you're very yes. confused as to why this 42-year-old is in college. I um, did, you know, maybe it's his injuries, but are you, are you sure Leonard Fournette just finished his rookie contract? Well, he that this year was the first, this past year was the first year he played on his second contract. Wow. So, he yeah, he was That's in. amazing. He was in Jacksonville, and they didn't bring him back after his little right. rookie contract, and he went to Tampa Bay on a one-year deal. He's uh, 26 years old, just turned 26 wow. in January. So, yeah, he's not old at all. And because he actually had a resurgence with, resurgence with Tampa Bay, he's like the third, fourth best free agent running back this offseason. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, Aaron, Aaron Jones is number one, uh, and then you've got, like, Fournette, Chris Carson, I think Kenyon Drake is a free agent. Like he's he's he might get paid. He might actually get paid this offseason. Not that running backs get paid too much, but he might get paid a little bit this yeah. offseason. By the way, um, all right, let's 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 let everybody in on what's happening on our show today because we might not have, <laughs> we might not have any guests on the show um, because Ed and I we can hear each other just yes. fine, no problem whatsoever. Jared can hear Ed and I just fine and i'm under the assumption the listener can hear ed and i we're just hoping fine. yeah i hope you guys can <laughs> but ed and i can't hear jared um like there's this very faint like voice we'll hear every now and then uh and that's supposedly jared trying to tell us something but we don't actually know what he's saying so we can't hear like anything coming from the studio and it's it's kind of a nightmare to try to do a radio show because Jared's supposed to tell us, you know, important things like when we're supposed to go to break or tell yeah. us when we're coming back from break. And we also won't be able to hear anybody that we get on the phone. So this is kind of just Ed and I talking and hoping that everybody else can hear us. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I hope they're not driving around and it's dead air right now. And we're just talking about things <laughs> that nobody knows, which would be very bizarre, but, uh, probably not Jared, uh, uh, faintly communicated to us that it sounds fine and people can hear what we're saying, but uh, might affect our guests because it, this just in, we usually have to listen to answers before we follow up with questions. It would be really weird if, you know, like our guests are talking about the Dodgers and we're like, that's a good thing you said about the Rangers and, you know, we're all confused. So uh, 
hopefully this this is the world of COVID and when people are at three different places, things tend to happen. So nobody's fault and we'll just kind of forge ahead. Forge ahead. I mean, we you are definitely could blame talk, oh, me. Jared's saying something. See, I, I can't. I, I can't understand one thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this could be fun. Jared, Jared, we're both going to shut up for 10 yeah. seconds. Talk so we assume the listeners can hear yes. what you had to say. And then we will ignore you like we normally yeah. do because we won't even know what you said. Well, for God's sake, do not stop talking for 10 seconds. But no, I was mostly just making a joke that I now realize you couldn't hear. So this is going to get real awkward. All right, I think that's been 10 seconds. So I have no idea what Jared actually said. I didn't say. I mean, I've got earbuds, and I might have think he started that with for God's sake. But if he didn't, I didn't hear one thing that guy just said. (laughs) Jared, nothing. And the and the worst part of all of this is the listeners probably can't have don't have any yeah, exactly. idea what we're doing. Ten I'm seconds su- of great radio. I assume Jared was talking there, and they heard everything Jared said, and I have no clue what Jared said. <laughs> nah. And so, yeah, we are uh, killing it we'll this morning. Yeah. So we're supposed this to have Rick Garoli on. This is the on. tape we want to replay for people. Yes, get, get the podcast later in the day on this one. <laughs> We're supposed to have Britt Garoli on to talk some baseball in about two minutes. Uh, that's not going to happen. No. Hopefully we can figure this out or fix itself before 830 because Darren Millard's supposed to join the show. Uh, and then J.R. Starkus is on at 930. Oh. So I don't know what happens over the yeah. next two hours. But if we can get it figured out before then, J.R. Starkus will actually join us. Otherwise, it'll just be Ed and I talking to each other, hoping yes. the rest of the world <laughs> can hear us. And if you can't, uh, this is going to yeah. be a strange three hours. Yeah, so, all right. Coming up next, we are going to jump into the Raiders and Marcus Mariota because, well, we've been assuming the Raiders were going to try to trade him, but apparently that might not happen this offseason because his contract, it's just, it's too good of a contract for Marcus Mariota. We very much believe in our quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the biggest thing for him is staying healthy. When he's healthy, he's played at a high level. So we got to do that, but we probably got to add someone, you know, so that, uh, you know, we, we probably need to improve ourselves so that if he's not there, we're all right. We can win games. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Ed and I are at home. Jared is in the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studio. Finley Toyota here for you at FinleyToyota.com. All right. Raiders offseason, they've got a couple of quarterbacks on the roster. They can't probably afford to have two quarterbacks on the roster making a significant amount of money. So we have uh, largely assumed that they will trade Marcus Mariota, unless, of course, they pulled off a blockbuster trade and traded Derek Carr for some reason. But for the most part, we've assumed they would trade Marcus Mariota because his cap hit is $11 million for next year, and you just simply can't have that on a team that has as many needs as the Raiders. But... Ian Rappaport reported yesterday that the trade market for Marcus Mariota has significantly dried up. Apparently, teams have called to trade for Marcus Mariota or ask about Marcus Mariota's availability and what a trade would look like. But his contract, the way the Raiders structured his contract, was basically a base contract of $10 million and then incentives if he plays. And... The big one is he gets a he gets an incentive every time he plays at least 60% of snaps in a particular game. So any time that he would play over 60% of the snaps, Marcus Mariota would 
uh, get an incentive. So if you were trading for him to make him your starter, he would be getting those, presumably, in every single game, and his contract could be worth over $20 million if that happens. And apparently that's scaring other teams off. They don't want to trade for Marcus Mariota on that contract. Yeah, I mean, I think it would scare him off because, correct me if I'm wrong, unless it's specific teams, you would be moving him or wanting him probably to be your starter, right? I mean, no one's, like I said, the Raiders might be the only one who would pay him to be a backup that much. So if I'm (laughs) moving for him, I'm probably saying he's going to compete to be my starter, be my starter. Now, again, so then becomes the risk reward. Do you believe that he can play to the level of $20 million because if he's your starter, he's going to play probably to 60% of the snaps and you're going to have to pay him. So maybe they're a little worried that if we get him and he doesn't work out, but he's the starter, we're going to pay him $20 million. Now, if he works out and takes you to the playoffs, $20 million may be a bargain, but that's the big risk reward on a guy who didn't play last year, had his issues in Tennessee, got beat out in Tennessee. If you're saying, you know, you're 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 trading for him, you can redo the contract, he's going to be back up for what, I don't know, 5-6 million, then Marcus Mariota is a good deal. But there's a lot of risk here to trade for a guy, make him your starter and not really know what's going to happen when you you might have to pay him 20 million dollars. Right. The idea on Mariota is do, does anybody else think he's a starter? Because right. if if other teams think he's a starter, then the Raiders can still trade him and get something back in in return for Marcus Mariota because $20 million for a starting quarterback really isn't that much. That's not a, a bad deal, especially because there's only one year left on it. So it's not like the Carson Wentz deal where you've got multiple years that you have to pay that salary. So if, if other teams were to believe, yeah, Mariota can be a starter, then the, the contract's fine. The contract's not a, a massive deal. The problem is that I don't know that many teams think Mariota can be a starter. And the way Ian Rappaport phrased it was that Teams that would be looking to trade for Marcus Mariota uh, would basically be looking for a bridge quarterback. A, hey, sure. Mariota's yeah. the starter, but you know we, we drafted Mac Jones in the middle of right. the first round. Or right. Mariota's the starter, and, and we're going to draft a quarterback next season. That, that was basically the premise of why a team would be interested in Mariota would be, you know, he's a competent quarterback. You can use him for one year, but you're going to try to upgrade and find something better in terms of rookies or if there's a you know big name trade or free agent that's available next off season. So that that was the idea and the idea of paying a bridge quarterback 20 million even if you think he's a decent starter isn't the greatest way to go about it. Now, the other part of this from the Raiders that I'm curious is just trying to figure out if the Raiders have any leverage because let's let's take the Patriots as an example because they're a team that needs a quarterback if the, if the Patriots call and are asking about Marcus Mariota, I assume the Patriots realize that the Raiders probably need to release Marcus Mariota if they do not, in fact, trade him. Because why the hell would the Raiders keep a backup quarterback for over $10 million? They did it last right. year, but why would they do that again? So I, I have to imagine the Raiders have almost no leverage because anybody that calls to ask about him is basically just going to say, well, we'll just wait and see if you release him, and then we'll sign him there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're lucky at this point, I think, maybe if you get draft picks or a draft pick back for him, because that's what I would do. I mean, th- people know about the defensive problems the Raiders have. They're going to need as much money as they can to be even competent on defense. And like you said, if I'm sitting out there saying, really, you're really going to you know, lock up 31, 32 million, which car, 20, still on the 20 deal? 
uh, in quarterbacks and, and a guy who's never going to play if the guy stays healthy, I don't even know if I would deal with them at this point. Because, look, if they keep him, they have more problems than the people who wouldn't trade for him. I mean, if you keep a guy on contract like that as your backup quarterback with all the help you need defensively, then you have a problem. I mean, then that's a Raiders and a Gruden problem if he does that. So you're right. I mean, you might be interested in him, but, you know, you want a sixth or a seventh that, you know, we'll throw in there to be nice about it. You know, so maybe we get him as our bridge instead of Team B. Okay, maybe that. But I'm not anywhere overpaying draft picks for Marcus Mariota at this point. I, why would you do that? I, I want to see Gus Bradley when he finds out that Marcus Mariota is coming oh, back to be the backup 10 million for, for $10 million. I want to know how quickly does Gus Bradley call Paul Gunther and say, what the hell are we doing yeah. here? Just yeah. like, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gus Bradley is from what I understand, he might still be in the lab because <laughs> that's a lot of film to dissect and really go over all the issues the Raiders had defensively. So if this guy pops his head out and they're like, you know, they're all high-fiving because they're like, we're keeping Marcus at 10. He'd be like, what? You know, <laughs> give me give me nine of that 10 and let's get another defensive back. I mean, listen, if they keep Marcus Mariota as the backup, I think we can just officially say they will never have a good defense. They just, they just no. won't have a good defense because they won't spend enough money. Because here, right. here's the fun fact. Last year, Marcus Mariota, his cap hit, was higher than all but two defensive players yeah. for the Raiders. The only two guys with the higher cap hit on defense. Sure, it's Littleton. Littleton and LaMarcus Joy. Yeah. Nobody else on the defensive side of the ball had a higher cap hit than the backup quarterback who was allowed to play in one game last season. Yeah. So if they bring him back, like you just you just give up on the chances of having yeah. a good defense. And you just say, all right, whatever. You, you got to score 40. You're not willing to spend any money on defense. Which, by the way, if we go back to last season, I wonder how much difference the conversation about Marcus Mariota would be right now if the Raiders had played him in the last two games of the regular season. Oh, I, I mean, depending on how he played, it could be completely different. Let's say he would have gone in and won games and looked, you know, looked really, really good. Then, yeah, then I think if he had two more games of evidence, evidence that he's playing really well then I do think they can make a move on him and you would get something back, but they chose not to play him. So all people really have is that one game where he replaced Carr. And yes, he looked good, but that's a pretty small sample size given his injuries of the past, given he got beat out in Tennessee, that like we just said, you would come with them like a strong trade trade um, proposal in terms of value for him at this point. Had he Now, again, had he played really poorly in those last two games, though they'd be in the same position here where they'd have no leverage and people would just wait to see if they want to sign him. So, yeah, it could have made a huge difference either way, depending on how he performed. Yeah, I, the, I, I think the Raiders, like we talked about at the time, I think they messed up in that by playing Derek. I Carr do, too. They should, have, they should have played him. Yes, because, absolutely. Because the other part of that question with Marcus Mariota and, and what his value would be if he had played those last two games, if he had played well in those last two games, I think the conversation maybe about Mariota is should the Raiders keep him and move on from Derek Carr, right? Because you, you know Carr is going to have to get an extension at some point soon. Mariota could could be the Raiders' bridge quarterback, or Mariota could be the quarterback of the future that gets an extension for the Raiders. So I think if they play him in those last two games, the conversation could be completely different. You could yeah. have a completely different option if you are the Raiders yeah. for who your quarterback is next season. Not to say 
Carr wasn't playing well, but Mariota could offer you a better value. And mm-hmm. regardless of his incentives, like even if even if he makes up $20 million, his cap hit is still 10 or 11. Like even if he even if he hits all those incentives, his cap hit doesn't change. So, no. you know, owners have to pay the actual salaries and incentives out. But if you're in a, you know, salary cap sport, he still only counts 10 million against the cap, regardless of how much he plays. So that would be like if he had played those last two games and played well, that would be a legitimate discussion to have because Carr's cap hits 22 or 3 million this year, like you could save 10, 12 million dollars by going to Mariota, but you can't really go to Mariota with any confidence yeah. because you saw him play for all of three quarters last season and, you know, there was some positives, some negatives, but it's, you know, you didn't see him very much. Well, how about this that just moved? This is interesting. Jared retweeted it for us. We don't realize because we can't hear Jared, but that, uh, Jared just retweeted. He communicates with yes, us? Yes, he just communicated with <laughs> us and retweeted Pro Football Focus. Russell Williams' camp has approached the Seahawks for a trade. Uh, potential destinations include the Dolphins, Jets, Saints, and Raiders. Oh, Wilson throw was BFF's sixth highest quarterback in 2020. His rating was 90.5. So here we go again with more rumors about potential trades for top quarterbacks going to the Raiders. That is interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we got Raiders being mentioned with Russell Wilson. Uh, John Clayton said the Raiders are a dark horse yesterday for J.J. Watt. Sign them all. Sign them all. We need to create um, some sort of graphic uh, that illustrates every time a quarterback is supposedly available that the Raiders get mentioned. Yeah. Because – it is every quarterback that yes. is ever available, with like the exception of Carson Wentz. Yes, like every quarterback that there's any rumor of a trade, uh, yeah, the the Raiders are in on it. And Put any it quarterback, on the front page. any quarterback that's in the draft is, hey, uh, the Raiders are after that guy. So we need to yeah. like somehow create a spreadsheet, create a graphic or something that just illustrates because. Like, you, you look at those teams that, that you just mentioned that could be interested. If Russell Wilson is approaching about a trade and the potential destinations are Dolphins, Jets, Jets, Saints, and Raiders, one of those teams has an established quarterback that's played well in the NFL. The other three do not. The Saints might if, if Drew Brees comes back, though he wasn't good recently, but only one of those teams has an actual quarterback. The other three absolutely could upgrade their quarterback position because they've never had a quarter, none of their quarterbacks on their roster right now have actually played above average in the NFL. So it's I, I love that the Raiders get thrown into all of these. It's terrific for us. The better the better part of that is, and I love this. And Adam Adam Hill and I were talking about this. We always laugh at this. All of these things that are on Twitter, Raider fans want them to sign and do everything. And it's like that would make your cap hit three hundred and forty two million. I mean, every time these guys are mentioned, they say, "Yeah, get that guy, get that guy." It's a little tougher than that, you know. Get JJ Watt, trade for Russell, let's do all these things. Like, yeah, there's something called the cap where money doesn't allow you to do that. But it's great when fans just like, no matter who's out there, like, get that guy. You know, we need that guy. JJ Watt would make us good. It's like, yeah, he would. <laughs> Makes a lot of money. <laughs> Russell so, Wilson I mean, would be an upgrade. Yeah, he would. Listen. I don't know that those fans would be a worse front office than the Raiders right now, though. <laughs> like, if you let the if you just did Twitter polls on who the Raiders should sign in the offseason, it would have been better than last year's offseason, yeah. wouldn't it? Like, it's it hard might to have argue been against that. Jared like, is now Jared is now sending us Twitter messages to put this on the front page. We are now communicating <laughs> with our producer through Twitter. 
We can't hear a thing he's saying, but he's now tweeting people. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we already talked about it, so I don't know what's supposed to go in the front page anymore. No, we have no idea. <laughs> but uh, yes, just uh, sign all the free agents to the Raiders via Twitter poll by Raider fans. Like, you think Raider fans are giving Marcus Mariota a deal with an $11 million cap hit? Well, they were until this report came out. Now they think they're getting Russell Wilson. So That's right. And apparently, apparently uh, this is saying that Russell has listed Vegas as a prefer as one of one of his preferred destinations. Oh, he wants so, to come to Vegas. You know what well, it is? You know the the Holly, the the the, the famous wife, and the, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this would be a huge town for uh, for that. Who wrote the column about the Raiders and Russell Wilson? And the part of the reasoning was because Ciara could uh, have a residency. I read it. I, I don't who, remember, but remember who yes. Wrote it. But that was that was part of the why Russell Wilson would want to come to Vegas is yes, because his exactly. wife could have well, a residency. Hey, <laughs> got to think of the family. Got to think of the family, Tyler. All right. According to Twitter, Jared says we need to break. So we'll go to break right now. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of baseball because the Padres are the hottest team in the sport. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. William Hill is giving you a free 50 bucks to bet when you sign up for a new mobile sports account. Use the promo code GET50. That is G-E-T-5-0. And then... When you make a minimum of $50 in sports bets, you'll get a free 50 bucks in your account from William Hill. You get a free $50 and you can place all your bets straight from your phone. It's bet 50, get 50 from William Hill. Just remember the promo code, get 50. For more details, visit williamhill.us. Um, we'll get into some Golden Knights. They are not playing tonight. Uh, we'll do that at 8.15, maybe at 8.30. I don't think we're going to actually talk to Darren Millard. But we'll get into some Golden Knights as their game has been postponed with the Sharks uh, that was supposed to be played tonight. Uh, we'll probably get back into this Russell Wilson story as well. But for the next couple of minutes, some baseball led because our team, the Padres, are coming. According right. to Kevin Acey, they've sold more season yeah. tickets this week yeah. than any week ever. Two million in season tickets. They also were expected to sell out spring training tickets by the end of the day. This is the best fan base yeah. in baseball. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> it's such a good fan base when the Dodgers play in uh, in Petco. 80% of the people are Dodger fans because people are selling their tickets. So uh, good for them. Look, I, I'm i happy for them. This is this, the positive vibes around this team right now and their fan base and buying all these tickets. I mean, you got to feel good for the little guy down uh, south. Uh, it, they're <laughs> finally spent some money. Uh, it's no longer many years ago. You know, it was the fire sale and, you know, the crazy Roseanne Bard anthem. I mean, they have moved away from that. And uh, they want to be good. They want to compete. Uh, and I think uh, it, I've told you before, I know they have a good team. Like, that's not a huge surprise. They're going to win 90 plus. It's just that it's hard to win 90 plus and still be considered the best team when you are the best team in the division. So if they were any other division, I mean, they'd win the division maybe going away. But that's just not the case. Well, they're going to win the NOS for the next decade. How long is that Tatis okay. contract? <laughs> 14 many? years. Yeah, basically. Basically, what's <laughs> happened here, Ed, is the Padres are about to be the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. And uh -huh. the Dodgers are going to be okay. the Raiders looking up at That's, Fernando yeah. Tatis. It's never going to happen because, unlike the Raiders, are going to spend money wisely. 
<laughs> the one thing you can't accuse the Dodgers of, of never spending money. Um, yeah, I mean, good for Tatis. Like I, I told you last week, the greatest tweet I saw is, my kid's five years old in kindergarten. When this is up, he'll be in college. So, you know, that's a long time uh, for things to happen, but he's an incredible player. And, uh, like, it's all good vibes. Tyler, it's all positive vibes towards the uh, the Brown Unis at this point. I mean, good for them. I, You know, if they want to feel happy about themselves, I mean, they should. It's been forever since they've done anything. So, you know, you got you to gotta think positive if you're them. You say that, and then it's June 3rd, and the Dodgers are four and a half back of the Padres in the NL West, and you're panicking because you're going to have to play yeah. a one-game wild card yeah. series just to get into the playoffs. <laughs> you wouldn't know that because if that's happening in June 3rd, I'm not on the show, so... <laughs> Uh, I, you think I, in the morning, it's like, where is that guy? It's 6.59. What? <laughs> oh, that's right. The Dodgers are five and a half out of the Padres. What is the, what is the threshold? Like, what is the threshold <laughs> oh. of how early into the season uh, versus how far back the Dodgers uh, are that you're actually worried? August 1, at least four or five back. Then so, it's Armageddon. Then it's okay. like, I don't know how to respond. So any anything before that, you're fine. If they're if they're three yeah. back in yeah. June, oh that's you're nothing. Not, yeah. Okay, you're no. not sweating. No. All right. Um, no. All right. All that's right. Not. August first, we'll no. be waiting. August first, we'll be sitting around yeah. and seeing how the Dodgers and the Padres are. You are right about the whole NL West thing. The Padres picked the worst time to decide oh, to sorry. try to be good. Yes. Like, the best yeah. team in baseball is in their division. Yeah. They're like, ah, we're going for it. Let's do it. Like, and you're right. If they were in any other division, they'd be picked to win their division. Oh, easily. He's saying yes. they're, they're no doubt about it going to be in the yeah. NL or ALCS. But instead, either the Padres or the Dodgers, one of them is going to have to play in the wild yeah. card series just to get into the actual they're, playoffs. It's brutal. I mean, I think they'd be favored to beat the Yankees. They're they good. I mean, be. yeah, they're, they're, they're really good. I mean, I'm not going to, I can't sit on here and be like disingenuous, say they're not good, but. As you said, as Jared counts us down on on texting ten nine eight seven, I'll just leave it at the Padres are good, but not as good as the Dodgers. <laughs>